0: Welcome to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through intentionally serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. We bring you Christ-centered messages from our pastors each Sunday, as well as engaging discussions relevant to your life. So grab a cup of coffee, get comfortable, and join us as we strive to grow as followers of Christ and make a positive impact in our community. All right, we're in James chapter 3. Grab a Bible, open it up. While you do that, I'm going to read from you from one of the lesser known prophets, Billy. He's five years, he's actually in fifth grade. And he said, you may have heard his words, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You remember that? Remember Billy? Yeah. And then there's Sarah, another lesser known prophet. She said, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. So it's kind of weird because if what Billy has said was true, then why do you need to be rubber if if it doesn't hurt you? The fact is, we all know what a lie that statement is, and, and you know, it's usually said through tears because you've been hurt by words. Words, most of us have some of our deepest wounding through words, do we not? It seems that uh, physical pains and cuts and maladies can heal, but oftentimes a biting word, a curse, any of that can stick with us for a long, long time. And you would think, man, we should know about something like that. God should have told us how important words are. Oh, yeah, He did. He did. See, God's the first one to speak, right? At the very beginning of the Bible. Then God said, let there be light. And then this phrase continues as He creates every individual part of what we know is creation. Then God spoke. Then God spoke. And then He gets to mankind who He makes in His own image and He speaks us into existence. And so what we see is the power of life in the tongue. And then the devil comes along because he can also speak. Right? And he speaks to them in the garden, and he says, "Surely you will not die. You'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Come on, let's eat this fruit. Let's disobey God. Let's have some fun." And he speaks, and he speaks death into creation. But God wasn't done speaking, because then God, through His Son, who you know, is Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah would come and speak again, and would crush the words that death spoke. So, in the power of your tongue is life, death, and wisdom. And that's what we're looking at this morning. And in James 3, we start off with uh, this, this, this admonition, admonish, admonition, admonition. Ammonition. ammunition. We start with ammunition. An admonishment, an admonishment, that not many of you should become teachers because you don't speak good. <laughs> because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I can tell you that when I was asked to be a senior pastor many years ago, this verse came straight to my mind. I didn't need anybody to quote it to me. I just instantly it was like, I remember reading that they get judged super strictly He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And they're able to keep their whole body in check. So James is saying, look, I'm not calling you to be perfect to speak the word of God, but I am telling you there is a requirement that you walk a higher road if you're going to speak the word of God. Now, the same grace of Jesus Christ that covers the murderer and the adulterer, thankfully, it covers the pastor too. So I decided to take the position and still became a pastor. Uh, And then he says, no one's perfect, right? None of you are perfect. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. Get this. A world of evil among the parts of the body. Have you ever heard or did you know that the Bible describes your tongue as a world of evil? Among all the other parts of the body, like your pinky, it doesn't get called a world of evil. Not even the the middle one. It doesn't even get called a world of evil. Your tongue, though, is a world of evil amongst all the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James does not pull any punches. And here's the other thing. We've been saying this for two, three weeks now. James does not exaggerate. James does not use a lot of alliteration and metaphors. So when he says that your tongue is a world of evil amongst the body parts and that it will corrupt the whole body and bring it to hell, he's not exaggerating. Right? James doesn't use pretty pictures to get a point across. He's saying, literally, watch out. What you speak, you speak life or you speak death into existence. And you have that power. We watch, you know, superhero movies are one of the largest grossing movies in all of America. Billions and billions of dollars. Any type of superhero movie, sitcom or the Marvel stuff or DC. We all want a superpower. And yet every single one of you in here were born with the power to speak life or death over another individual. You have that power. You didn't need to train for it. You didn't need to activate it. In fact, we learned to speak death usually from a young age. Let me give you an example. Have you ever wondered why you do something? Why do we have to read the Bible? I don't like reading. Why do I have to go to church? Why do I need to be part of a Paul group? Part of a small group. (laughs) Why, why, why? You know, when when we had young children, we were trying to teach them uh, not to say certain words. My son... Uh, really grabbed on to the word stupid. Like, we had told them we don't say stupid because it hurts people's hearts, right? And it speaks to their intelligence, and it's not a kind thing to say. So Judah, man, he was on it. And then as a parent, you mess up, and you're like, oh, man, this is so stupid in front of your kids. And you go, ah, ah, ah dad. Can't say stupid. Can't say stupid. And one time, my father was over, And he said, right, this is Judah's grandpa, and he said, oh, this stupid thing. And Judah goes, Grandpa, you are not allowed to say stupid. And I go, oh, great, here's the stupid police. I'm sorry, Dad. (laughs) Literally, it had double meaning, right, The, the police. And I realized, though, the conviction in my own heart was he is speaking life over us. He's saying, you don't speak those words. Even as an adult, I have forgotten I have forgotten how easy it is to speak death over a situation or into a situation. And the voice of my little son helped remind me and my father that day, we need to watch our words. Because they carry weight. The weight of the Lord's words created the universe. You don't quite have that weight. But you do have the weight to speak life and death over somebody. Let's go on. All kinds, this is verse 7. Of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed. They have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. Ah, finally, something good about the tongue. We should just stop there. And with it we curse men. Ah, come on, James who have been made in God's likeness, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Sort of an open-ended question, right? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. He's hearkening back here to James 1, uh, verse 6. We'll, we'll, go, we'll get to that. But you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. So do not boast about it or deny the truth, for such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual. And it is of the devil. See, again, James doesn't pull punches. He's not just saying, oh, don't speak bad language. It's not nice. He says, that's the language of the devil. That's the language of the demonic. You speak a curse over somebody. You speak into somebody's life. Death, he's saying you're speaking the language of the demonic. This is James, right? This isn't some charismatic heresy pastor or something out there. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And you know what he's following up on? I'm getting a lot of feedback. He's following up on the words of Jesus Himself. There is life and there is death in the tongue. Verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then the peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a, right, raise a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You know what the difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper is? A peacekeeper, one who keeps the peace, will sacrifice truth to keep the peace, right? You hit your brother, bam! Mom comes in, brother's crying, what happened? Brother hit me, did you hit him? Yeah, I hit him. Well, you two just shouldn't play together for a while. We've all done it, right parents? Just keep the peace, stop yelling, my, my head can't deal with it anymore. That's a peacekeeper. The truth is, the older brother should have been punished for recklessly hitting the younger brother, but it, the time it would take, and then you got to hear both their stories, and it goes forever. Just separate them. Just keep the peace. Jesus didn't call us to be peacekeepers, friends. Jesus called us to be peacemakers, and peacemakers bring peace, but it comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of the truth. It comes at the cost of justice, and it comes at the cost of humility. Do you think it was humbling of Jesus to come and take the form of man and be put on that cross? To be whipped and beat by his accusers who he could just speak a word and they would fall dead? You will need that same humility if you want to walk in the justice and the mercy of God's law. You will need the same humility. If you walk in it with pride, arrogance, bitterness towards others who have wronged you, You will walk into situations speaking the truth of God's word, but bringing death. You hear that? You will bring death because you have no love for the people you're speaking to. You have no humility. You come in pride, arrogance, and anger. And you believe you're going to change people, but you aren't. You bring death. Let's ask God for wisdom. Lord. Lord. This morning, would you give us wisdom to help us understand these words, to help us not just understand them, but Lord, then to do something about it, to say, change me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Wake us up, Lord. Wake the church up. We can see it needs to be woken up, Father God. So, wake us up this morning, and may we use our words with great wisdom. Amen. So this whole first part of chapter 3, 1-8 through eight, that I read, it's all about your words and the power of words. We get three illustrations, right? A ship, a horse, and a spark in a forest, and how these small things control something massive. And then you get to the very end of it, and he says, no one can tame the tongue. We tame reptiles, we tame birds, we tame animals, but no man can tame the tongue. Why is that? Why is it you can't tame the tongue? Because taming the tongue is like having an apple tree that is rotten. And all it produces is rotten apples, and they're small, and they're gross, and usually by the time you get to them, they're all mushy. You guys know those apples, right? And that's all it produces. Taming the tongue is like if that apple tree was in your property, and you just go each week to the grocery store, and you pick up fresh apples, and then you tape them to the branches. (laughs) Look at my apple tree! Isn't she beautiful? That's what t- trying to tame your tongue is without getting to the issue of the heart. For it all flows, everything you speak flows out of your heart. That's where it comes from. And so, if you don't first address this issue, you can't address the other issue. That's one thing, one of the things that uh, helped bring my son to such a, a serious understanding that we don't say stupid was we didn't just say, you don't say this. You're not allowed to say that word. All you're doing is taping a good apple to a tree that's dead. Instead, you say, here's why we don't say it, right? Don't you love when somebody tells you a reason why something's happening than just not to do something? Yeah, we all do. Why do you love that? Because it gets to your heart. And then out of your heart, you can apply the goodness or the evil. You get that choice. You can apply either or, but at least now you know. And so often what we rebel against is growing up with rules that we're told we're not allowed to do something without hearing the reason why, right? can't have sex before marriage. Why? Because God doesn't like you to have fun or sex. He doesn't like any of it. It's just a necessary evil that made its way through evolution. (laughs) <laughs> That's all a lie, by the way. Do not take me out of context, Tim. I can already see you doing it. <laughs> nope. But sort of growing up with a conservative background, there is some of this that happens in the church, is, is we, we say these rules: you can't take drugs, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't have sex, you can't curse, you can't you have to wear nice clothes to church. You have and we hear all this, but do we ever get at the heart of why? Do we just speak The rules, or do we speak the truth? You see, even young children, although we may think that they do not have enough wisdom to understand, there are many things they will understand if you take the time to explain it to them. So we see here, it says, the problem with our words is not just our tongue, it's our heart, for out of the mouth comes praising and cursing because our hearts are mixed. He says, how is it a heart can have both a spring of fresh water And coming out of that same spring, salt water. And salt water here is used to mean bitter, bitter water. So there's sweet water, the fresh water, and a bitter water. And the human heart is capable of producing both. But James says it shouldn't be. As we grow in wisdom, it should only produce sweetness. That's the goal of wisdom. Wisdom is to move to a place where we stop producing both and we begin to produce the sweetness that comes from wisdom. So this should leave us with a question. How do you gain wisdom? Not knowledge, not smarts. How do you gain wisdom? And that's what I want to look at here because in verses 9 through 18, he moves away from understanding the power of the tongue, which I think I've explained that here, into the wisdom. The wisdom side of things. How do I gain wisdom so that my speech mirrors the work that God is doing in my heart? Does that sound like something good to finish talking about here? Good, because I am. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? There's one definition that I have heard many years ago this from a sermon done by Tim Keller in the 90s. So this is almost three decades old. And ever since then, this has been my foundation for what is wisdom. The definition of wisdom is the ability to see and build relationships of all sorts. Remember when I first read that, I was like, build relationships? You'll see as we go here. Wisdom is the ability to take things that are unrelated, see, and fit them into a relationship. Wisdom is the ability to take things that are separate, seemingly have nothing to do with each other, and put them together to make the whole. Wisdom is the ability to see and discern and build relationships. It's one thing to know something, it's another thing to know how it relates to life. Right? Allow me to give you a few examples. So wisdom is knowledge that is related, worked out, and lived out. If you're taking notes, wisdom is knowledge that has been related, worked out, and then lived out. A few examples. One, you take a great athlete. Would you rather have Michael Jordan in his prime or LeBron James in his rookie year? Okay, right? Would you rather have a team of Michael Jordans in their prime or a team of rookies? We'd all want prime. Even though the rookies are probably faster, they have better agility, their quick twitch nerves are still operating and firing because they aren't super old like in their early (laughs) thirties. That's pretty much the end of it, right? You start to be called a veteran if you're in your early thirties and that's, uh, that's, I wish, I wish. Why do you want them? They're a little slower. They're not going to be as athletically, have the same stamina. They have experience. And their experience produces wisdom. They've been in the situation before. See, it's not knowledge. Both the rookies and the veterans know the rules of basketball. They even know how to run plays, and they know why to run plays. They, under- they have all the knowledge, the same knowledge. But the veterans have wisdom. They've been there before. They've been to the experience. They can explain it. It's not a theory to them. They've walked the path. The difference between... I know. That's why I listen to you sometimes, Jerry. (laughs) They've walked the path. So, you take a great musician. Same thing, right? A great musician takes multiple notes, of which to somebody like me have no relation to each other and can bring them together and make something beautiful out of them. A great artist can take colors and lines, colors and lines, and put them on a canvas in such a way that you can stare at them for hours, and as humans, we'll spend thousands of dollars on art. I bet there's not a single house in here that doesn't have something hanging on the wall, because we as people are built in the image of God, and our God makes things beautiful and we desire things that are beautiful. That's why you have stuff up on your wall. It's not cultural, that is throughout history. We, we desire beauty. So, knowledge is, I mean, wisdom is knowledge that becomes related, worked out, and lived out. The ability to see a relationship where others don't. Some of the greatest point guards in the NBA, right? Like Steve Nash, he was here in Phoenix for quite a while, I remember watching him. He could see lanes and avenues and teammates and the other team in ways nobody else could see them. He had wisdom because he was making relationships where nobody else saw one. Are we understanding this definition yet? Is it making sense? Because we're going to build off it here. So why is it that over and over again, and we see here and all the way through the Bible, that wise people are peacemakers, not peacekeepers? They aren't people who keep the peace, they're the people who make peace wherever they go. Because a peacemaker is there to develop the relationship. When Jesus came down, He did not come down as the Jews thought He would in kingly authority to destroy the enemies. He came down to create a relationship with His people, right? For years, I realized that there has been a distance between us. My presence has been in the Ark of the Covenant. My presence was in the Holy of Holies. That's where it was. My presence was upon my prophets and kings and judges. But I come now to you in the form of you to have relationship with you. He came bringing the wisdom of heaven. And the wisdom of heaven was not more knowledge. It was not a great war. And it was not a position of authority. It was relationship. That was God's big plan. Relationship. And when Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected on the third day, He goes to His disciples and He says, I want you to take this relationship and I want you to go share it with everyone you meet. I don't want you to go badger them and beat them over the head. I want you to bring in the sick and the poor. I want you to love those that others don't love and I want them to see how I have loved you. And when they see the wisdom of My Father, they will see The redemption offered in my sacrifice. Come on, that is exactly the relationship we're talking about. That's wisdom. See, a wise person knows how to reconcile two people who are at odds, right? They know how to push and confront, but not go too far. They know how to compliment, but not become a brown noser. They understand their limits on both ends. Wisdom is the ability to take a fact or a concept or a word and have it make sense. It's relationship. It's how it relates. In fact, this wisdom thing is so important that we see in the Old Testament in Exodus 35, 30 through 32, there's this guy, Bezalel, who is an artist and a craftsman, and he's the leader of the artist who is going to build the tabernacle. Right? And the, we're doing craft work and metalwork and weaving, and it says that the reason he is selected is God gave him a gift of wisdom for artistry. If you're an artist in here today, your ability to draw, your ability to see things where others don't, is a gift of wisdom. So use it accordingly to bring life. Right? We had an artist, I think, yeah, it's still sitting up there, you can't see it if you're over here, but there's a painting over there of like a heart on fire, and that was from our last worship night, where the artist was right up here, and she was painting it as the worship night was going on over the course of 45 minutes to an hour, and it was cool to hear even her testimony afterwards, but as she is painting this thing, she is expressing and worshiping the Lord through her gift that has been given to her, which was wisdom for all those who see it. Don't downgrade your gift. Don't think that because you don't have something that other people value that it's not valuable, right? It is a gift of wisdom from the Lord. And then we often hear that the ultimate wisdom, what's the ultimate wisdom? The fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now this is not fear like what this month tries to conjure up with everything that's on TV right now. That's not the fear it's speaking about. We know that because Psalm 130 says, there is forgiveness of sins from you, therefore I fear you. You think David fears God because he forgives his sins? It's like last week when I said words have different meanings. The word awful up until just recently used to mean full of awe. That's an awful dress. It's got me full of awe. Fear in this time and in the way you see it in the Bible is not a I'm afraid of God because he's going to punish me and beat me down. It's, it means trembling because you are in such amazement and awe of what's before you, right? Anybody see the eclipse? Hopefully through some sort of a device yesterday. Wasn't that wild to just all of a sudden look outside and it was dark, but it wasn't dark? Wasn't that weird? There were no clouds in the sky here, at least in Santan Valley. And so it was dark, but it wasn't. Man, I'm telling you, you look at something like that and there's just this awe. There's this, my goodness, what am I looking at? How big is this? and we're still just seeing a speck of it. That's what it means when it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When you begin to look upon God and no longer just look at Him as your way out of hell or your religion or something you have to do to be morally correct, but He is your everything and relationship with Him is everything, at that point, the fear of the Lord is beginning wisdom in you, right? Because you have so much awe for who He is and it's changing you, it's changing you. It's really what it means to grow as a Christian. It's not about more knowledge, it's about more wisdom. Honestly, when you have the wisdom of the Lord, it will lead you to desire the knowledge of who He is, right? The fear of the Lord leads to knowledge, not the other way around. That's good, actually I just came. The fear of the Lord leads to knowledge, not the other way around. You can have all the knowledge of the Lord And it doesn't always lead to trusting him, loving him, and gaining his wisdom. Okay. It goes on. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. Can we get that verse up there? It's somewhere 13. Thank you. I didn't write the number next to my notes. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life life. Now, this is so important to see because I want you to leave here today knowing how you can get this wisdom. James explains it and lays it out very practically for us, and understanding this line is key to it. Who is wise in understanding? Let him show it by his good life. Now, there's two ways in the Greek that we see the word good used often. There's agathos, which is good versus evil. That's agathos whenever you see the word good, and it means good versus evil. And then there's kalos, which means beautiful versus ugly. Beautiful versus ugly. Which good do you think is used here? That's right. Let them see your beautiful life. Isn't that interesting? It's not good. This isn't a life built on works, like some believe. He's not saying that in order to be wise, you have to do lots of good works. He's saying in order to be wise, your life has to exhibit beauty. Like the artist or the musician or the athlete. You have to exhibit beauty. And you will only exhibit beauty if you understand the wisdom of the one who created you. A wise life is beautiful because it's related to others. And it relates to other people. They can see the life and they then relate to it. Once again, wisdom is relationships. In most all cultures... (laughs) Virtually all cultures, except for current day modern America, the last 20, 30 years, uh, elders were tremendously important and respected. (laughs) They were. Our elders were incredibly respected. And in many cultures around the world, it's still the case. But in a country that values the individual and the individual right and do what you feel and all of that, there becomes less and less respect for the elder. The elder is old. The elder's out of touch. The elder doesn't understand. It couldn't be further from the truth. The same reason that you would take the prime athlete over the rookie is the same reason you should listen to your elders. Right? I feel like I'm hearing this from my parents right now. and I'm like, You listen to your elders, of which I'm like an elder to maybe 12 of you in here. I get that. But the fact of the matter is, the same reason is they have wisdom more than just knowledge. They have wisdom that you can use. So it says, let him show by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that come from wisdom. Now we get to the deeds part. But notice how the deeds didn't make for the wisdom. The beauty of his life, the beauty of the pursuit after God is what was first. And what it's saying is when you pursue after God, it will produce deeds that have been done in humility. That's the after effect. I can't explain this any more passionately. Your works do not get you closer to God. Your study does not get you closer to God. Humbling yourself and seeking Him and saying, God, my life is yours. Take it all. I bow before you. That gets you closer to God. The knowledge will come if you take that step first. So I said I would reference back to chapter 1, verse 6, right? Uh, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So the wisdom comes because of humble steps and humble decisions that were taken as you've grown. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. First, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be Mature and complete. Not lacking anything. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God and He will give sparingly. There we go. That guy got it. How does God give wisdom? Generously. He pours it out. Solomon tells us in the Proverbs, it shouts in the street. If you are lacking for wisdom, it is not because there is no wisdom around you. We just need to wake up. We're asleep. And we're sitting there in our dream going, where's all the wisdom? God's like, I will give it generously. But what's this also saying? It's saying that humility and wisdom are opposites of pride. And they are opposites of arrogance and selfishness. If you believe that pride is going to save your marriage, if you believe that pride is going to save your dignity, if you believe that pride is going to get you farther at work, I promise you right now, hear my voice, you will fail. You will become weaker and dumber for hanging on to your pride. That is the wisdom of the world. Don't say sorry to your spouse. Then they're just going to walk all over you. Don't say sorry to your kids. They can't can't see you weak or they're not going to respect you. Don't say sorry to somebody who has wronged you, who has not asked for forgiveness. They don't deserve it. You hearing me? That's the wisdom of the world. That's the wisdom of devils, James says. That's not the wisdom we walk by anymore. We're set free to walk by a new wisdom, a higher wisdom, the wisdom of the one who created you, his wisdom, how he operates. And James says when you walk in this way, you will be mature, lacking in nothing. Proverbs 3.19, we're told by the wisdom, the Lord laid the foundations of the earth, and by understanding, He set the heavens in place. God has wisdom, and He carries with Him the ultimate act of wisdom. He brought order out of chaos, and He'll do the same in your life. But you have to turn to Him. You have to lay down pride. And a big part of laying down pride isn't just forgiveness, it's admitting that you need help sometimes. It's admitting that you're too far into something that you can't get out of, and that admission is, it's hard, isn't it? We don't want to admit it. I'll get through it, I'll get through it. I'm strong, I'm a Christian. God, God, help me get through it. And God says, I've already given you a way to get through it. You need to go tell so-and-so. God, give me another way to get through it. Like, magically, just get rid of this addiction for me on the count of three. Ready, God? Or we bargain. God, if you get rid of this, or if you make this person love me again, oh, I'll go to church. And then I know that's what makes you happy, right, God? If I go to church. We're missing the heart of the Father. We're missing relationship. You're missing wisdom. He created us. He created us to be alone. He created us to be in relationship. In fact, After he creates everything, the one thing that is not good, everything else he creates, he sees and says it is good. The one thing that is not good is that man is alone. And so he creates woman so that we would never, ever, 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 ever be alone again. (laughs) And it is good. I got to be alone at my house without four kids and a wife for two hours this weekend, and I I just danced and I ran around and went outside. (laughs) And then I fell asleep because I didn't know what else to do and I'd used all my energy. I am never alone at the house anymore when you got a big family. We're made for relationships. We're made to speak. I asked this in first service, what's the longest you've ever gone without speaking? Has anybody ever gone 24 hours without speaking? No, without speaking a single word, even to yourself? Look, at, look around, first of all, look around. Has anybody gone 48 hours? I did three days. Uh, Six years ago on my sabbatical, the last week I went up north to Heber and spent a week by myself to prepare coming back to the ministry. And uh, I didn't call anybody. I didn't take any calls. I was alone. If you know, Heber is a pretty desolate place. So I hiked, I fished, I biked, I watched some shows, I read a lot. And on the third day, I realized, all of a sudden it hit me, I have not spoken any words. I brought my own food up with me, so I hadn't gone to any stores. And it was such a weird thought as I'm thinking this, and I remember being by myself, I was just like, bah, I just said a noise out loud, just because I realized I have not broken and spoke, spoken a word in almost three days. And I haven't had anybody speak to me in three days, no communication. And so I ended up going down to the onion, the red onion up there in Heber, and getting food I didn't need just to be around other people and talk to somebody. That is how important it is. In fact, James compares it to food and water. He says, speaking is to life like food and water is to your life. And then he says, if someone poisons it, you better be careful. If your speech is poisoned, you bring death. If your food is poisoned, it brings death. In a room full of nearly 300 people, less than five have ever gone more than 20, 48 hours without speaking a word. Do you see how important your speech is? And if every word you speak is a reflection of your heart, do you see how important it is to know where your heart is? This isn't just some decision like, do I go with boxers or briefs, cereal or eggs? This is foundational to who you are as a person. This is greater than who you should marry, where you should live, what job you should take. Where is your heart? When you speak, do you still speak from a place of brokenness? When you speak, hear me, do you speak from a curse that somebody has spoken over you? Remember I said at the very beginning that the most painful wounds we have are not physical, but are words that have been spoken to us? I still remember to this day a word that was spoken to me by a kid at school in sixth grade. I remember where I was, I remember what it smelt like. I could take you to the spot up in North Phoenix. And I can tell you how for years, that word in situations around a bunch of other kids, boys and girls growing up, that word would come back to me, that that's what I am. Do you have something like that in your life? Has anybody ever spoken stuff like that over you? You see, the power of life and death are in the tongue and while somebody can speak death over you in the same way, someone can come and speak life for you, over you. Why do you think we do a response time at the end of service? Right? It doesn't, it's not like we make money off it. It's not like people are like, oh, that church must really be doing well. There's people responding. It's so you can speak and have others pray and speak life over you. That's the purpose of response. Sometimes you need to just come and speak. How many times have you had something that you're dealing with that you couldn't get past and then somebody comes along and you just speak it out and you sort of just laugh and you're like, I guess it's not that big of a deal, is it? You spoke it and it no longer held any power over you. Friends, the Greeks believed, and I'm going to close here, in a realm of abstract ideas that you could get to know through contemplation. This is what the Greeks believed. They sought knowledge above anything else and they wanted to be wise. But as you've learned here today, knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. They thought that wisdom came through contemplating, sitting down and deeply thinking about these abstract ideas, you would gain wisdom. John tells us at the beginning of his book that the only way to obtain wisdom is through the Logos. This is why I always tell people who are starting to read the Bible new, go read John 1. The Word became flesh, the wisdom, the Logos, that's the Word. The wisdom of the world, of all humanity, of creation, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory and the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Relationship is always built through wisdom. It's always relational. It's not abstract. You won't find it through knowledge. You will find it through relationship. And so the wisdom that is behind the universe is relational. And so how did Jesus come and solve a problem that seemed unsolvable? If the essence of what a wise heart is relationship, of what makes a wise heart is relationship, then wisdom would be behind what's going to fix the problem of humanity, sin. The problem of what we've seen unfold in our world over the last couple of weeks. You need wisdom to fix that, not knowledge. We have many, many smart minds trying to figure out how to stop this before it escalates, do we not? What's going on in Israel? There's money, there's power, there's intelligence, and there's knowledge. But what if you just applied wisdom to the situation? Right? This is what Jesus came and did. We as Christians believe that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is one. He is three three persons, one being. While that is a problem for us rationally and logically, it makes perfect sense that he is a God of relationship and that his wisdom comes through relationship because he didn't need us to be complete. You complete me. God doesn't say that to us. We do not complete him. We are his creation. He loves us, but he is completed in himself. He is self-sustaining, self-completing, self-affirming. He is the only creature which is so. The Father did not create the Son and the Holy Spirit so He would have friends. They have existed together always in perfect relationship. Do you, are you seeing now how relationship and wisdom are inseparable, hopefully? Let's have the band come up and, and Tim's going to come up here. I want to say this last thing because I, I, I know I need to end, but I don't want you to miss this. The ultimate wisdom that has been displayed isn't creation. The ultimate wisdom is the cross and Christ upon it. In the cross, Christ relates. He brings relationship to two things which seemed unrelatable. The fall of man and the entrance of sin and justice justice. Right? Remember earlier, I said it's not justice for mom to come in and just split the two up without bringing justice to the one who unnecessarily punched the other, but in order to be a peacekeeper, just split up. How is a peacemaker, one who cannot ab- avoid the truth, cannot avoid the law, how are you going to bring justice to this situation without destroying the creation you love? They turned their back on you. They turned their back on wisdom. As Jesus walked to the top of Calvary, they literally spit on him. The most incredible act of relationship and wisdom that the world has ever seen is Jesus upon that cross, where he brought relationship to his law and the truth and his love. Two things that were irreconcilable brought together in relationship. That's why we love Jesus. That's why I love Jesus. Until you see him on the cross bringing together something that with all your effort, with all of mankind's power and money, we cannot fix. But he stepped down and in humility took his wisdom and understanding of relationships and said, let me show you how to do it. That's what the gospel is, friend. We say things like Jesus loves you to people we don't know, right? Jesus loves you. And the word in our culture is thrown around so much it doesn't always mean something. But today you just heard the gospel preach that Jesus loves you, which is why Jesus took care of your problem of sin for you. And He didn't skirt the law. Justice was still paid. Upon Him, the full penalty of your sin was put. The full weight of everything you've ever done wrong, of every thought you've ever had was put upon him. And he he received that punishment. And on the third day, he rose again. First, Jesus spoke, and then the devil spoke, and then Jesus spoke again when he rose from the grave. Now it's the church's turn to speak. It's your turn to speak. You don't rest on the laurels of what's been done behind you. Your job now is to take this message and speak it. Be bold. Be humble. And be in relationship. Let's pray. Father God, help us today. Help me today, Lord. I know my tongue is not always a spring of fresh water. Forgive me, Lord. I seek forgiveness. But Lord, I also want to repent. I want to turn. Help me, God. Help me turn. Help me with the things I can't do on my own, Lord. Uphold me today. Lord, I pray for those in here who are wanting to say the same words I just spoke out loud, that they would speak it here today. That if you're here today and you need a word of life spoken over you, you need someone to speak truth of who you are in Jesus, then you come forward. If you're here today and you need to hear that you are a child of God and and you are ready to repent and say Jesus is not just God, he is my Lord and Savior, then that's what's going to be here for you today. Father, give us strength, give us courage, and may your love be the wisdom that we seek. In Jesus' name, amen.